Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be dealing with a very, very important topic. And yes, I said we because Joe will be joining me, not live in studio as we do normally on the Good Fight Radio Show, but actually after listening to a teaching by Joe titled God's Word on Sexual Sin, we wanted to dig into this and let you guys see some of the stuffs in our archive because I believe this message, and we're going to be showing you a number of clips from it, this message is one that could benefit you in your walk with Christ concerning how to fight against sexual sin, but also just knowing and having knowledge of what God's Word has already said on the subject. And so I'm excited to not only bring this teaching to you, but also Tony will be putting the link in the description of this show so that you can actually watch the video in its entirety of this teaching that took place in 2007. Yes, two whole years before I even came to Christ. I believe you're going to hear an awesome message here and an important one. But before we do, I also wanted to thank so much everyone that has joined and come alongside us and subscribed to the Good Fight Radio Show YouTube channel. Not only this channel, but also Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel as well, as well as those who have come alongside and partnered with us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Good fight. Those who have come alongside and actually said, hey, I want to help these guys out financially. And I've told you guys this before, but this is the reason we're able to do this. I was able to send these clips and I want to just give you guys some actual practical ways that this is being used because I was able to send these clips for this show in advance to Tony, who sent them to Josh, who edited them and bringing on another full-time editor to do this allows us to continue to bring you guys shows every single day. When you count the five shows we do on the podcast show, as well as the two we do on top of that on Wednesday and on Sunday at our church, you guys have five or seven different teachings a week, five during the week and then as well uh, the Sunday message as well. So we're trying to bring as much as we can to you guys that you guys can bless, be blessed by them. So with all of that, Joe is specifically going to be talking about in this clip sexual sin. And not just sexual sin, but also marriage and what marriage is and also what it means for you as a single person when it comes to your relationship with Christ. So in this first clip, I want you guys to be blessed by it and see what Joe talks about concerning sexual sin, but not only sexual sin, but also the covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. God has these laws because he loves us. Amen. He wants to protect our marriages. He wants to protect our relationship with him and with others. And we talked about uh, that God has a divine purpose in marriage that is so exalted that marriage is very plan for humanity. Amen? His very plan to have a bride. And uh, the first thing, if you remember, we talked about it being a divine what? Illustration. You remember that? What does it illustrate? Illustrates the husband's love for the wife, amen? Is a picture of Christ's love for the church. 
And uh, the, the wife's dependence on her husband and love for him is a picture of the bride of Christ. Uh, it's supposed to be a picture of the bride of Christ relationship, the church relationship with Jesus. And then we also talked about the purpose of marriage being not only a divine illustration, but we talked about it also being a, uh, you know, a mysterious unification. The two become one flesh. Amen. So uh, the two becoming one, there's something really heavy there because the picture of the body of Christ, Jesus and his body, we are one with Christ right now spiritually. So we've entered into a spiritual uh, marital relationship. Everybody here who is a Christian, even if you are physically single, you are married. In fact, that marriage actually transcends infinitely uh, our own human marriages. That's pretty interesting. So you might say to someone, oh, I'm single and I think I want to get married. I'm kind of bummed out. I'm not married. And it's like, no, I say, you know what? Sometimes I say, you are married, you know, and your marriage is eternal and has eternal significance and it's beyond any human marriage. And you want to work from that standpoint, understand out of that relationship comes other relationships and uh, God may want someone to be married or may not. Uh, in our world, everybody emphasizes, you know, hey, are you married? Are you going to get married? And, and specifically in the church, and the church is the last place you should be thinking that everybody should get married because if you're familiar with scripture, specifically Matthew 19 and Jesus' words and 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's words, there's a Bible gift called, or a gift of the Spirit called uh, the gift of singleness. God calls people. Jesus never got physically married. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, nearly never got married. And there were many uh, of the early church fathers and others who hadn't uh, been married and were just serving the Lord full time. In fact, Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 7, that's actually far better. It's better if you could be single and not be married. You say, wait a minute, you're just talking about marriage being this beautiful picture. It is. They're both awesome. But uh, because of the lost needing to be reached and so much could be done, like the Apostle Paul, it's interesting, when you look at Paul's letters and you look at Peter's, Peter did an awesome job. Wrote some, you know, first and second Peter, you know? Pretty heavy. But Paul, what did he write? He got a lot more done, didn't he? <laughs> He's a single brother, you know? So there's a lot of ways there's a real benefit if you have that gift. If you don't have that gift, you know, and God's opened up opportunity for you to be married and you're resisting it and you don't have that gift and, and, you, and, you, and you have a hard time holding out, you know, then it's better to marry, it says, than to burn, you know? So, uh, but at the same time, when you are married, if you do get married, you have to keep in mind, really keep in mind, that is a covenant. And you're married for a divine illustration. You have a responsibility to show forth if you're a husband what Jesus Christ is like to the world by being faithful to your wife and loving her. You have a responsibility if you're a wife to the world to be a witness of what the bride of Christ is like as you love your husband. And that's a divine illustration. Then there is what I mentioned, that mysterious unification. And then number three, there is what? That blessed procreation, bringing children into the world. That's crazy how awesome that is that there's i mean if it wasn't for god creating male and female i mean kids don't grow off trees right we wouldn't we, none of us would be here you know so uh all of those things and we also talked about number four was uh marital recreation illustration unification procreation and illustration uh, recreation within the marital bounds god has created sexual uh sexuality for the marriage covenant outside of that covenant uh, it becomes destructive, just like fire a couple feet outside of your fireplace, 
right? On your sofa and up your walls becomes destructive. I use that illustration quite often because I think it's a very powerful picture. And number five, I didn't give you a fifth one. By the second service, I had the fifth one I came up with. Uh, celebration. It's a, it's a joyous celebration. You know, when you have a wedding, what is it? A celebration, amen? What's an anniversary? Well, what's an anniversary supposed to be? A <laughs> celebration, amen? So, if you're focused on the Lord and you're focused on living and glorifying Him, you can have a very, very joyous marriage. Doesn't mean you will not have problems ever. Doesn't mean you won't have struggles. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, if you marry, you will have trouble in the flesh. He let you know you're going to have some hard times. But we have so much in Scripture to show us how to navigate through that. In any relationships that are close, there's going to be some struggles at times. Uh, but it's worth it if you put the Lord first. It's very rewarding and very much a blessing. Amen to that. Obviously, you know, what Joe is detailing there is not only the marriage covenant that a husband and wife would have, but also that between a single person and with Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 11 that you've been betrothed to one Christ. And I think that's one of the more beautiful things is recognizing that and seeing that we get to be a part of this grace mystery. If you are married, you get to be an example. And I think that's what he's really hearkening on when he's talking about that there. And then the next clip that you're going to see, he's going to be going over the theocratic system that Israel was under. And he's also going to parallel a little bit of that in terms of judgment, not only back then, but also parallel it now in terms of how we deal with sexual sin when it is in the church. For the land has become defiled. So now we see abominable, we see perversion, we see defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. That's what will happen to us in many uh, a myriad of ways that God can deal with us if we fall into such sins. Verse 26, But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations. They've done these things. It's very th everything you just mentioned has been being done in, those la in, the, in, the, in, the, in the promised land. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these things, and the land has become defiled. Do you realize that that's happening all over the place, these kinds of things we just read about in our nation? You know what? You don't have the stomach to hear about what's going on in our nation. Believe me. All over the place. Verse 28. So that the land will not spew you out. That's why they're not to do that. It says, for the men of the land who have been before you, verse 27, done all these abominations, the land has become defiled so that, you, so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. Verse 29, for whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you so as not to defile yourselves with them, I am the Lord your God. Now notice there's the word defile again. So we're seeing abominable, abomination, and you know, perversion, and, and, and defile over and over again. And he's casting them out. I mean, they're gone. The people that are there. You know, whole families and, and people groups. A lot of different groups as you go through and you see uh, them going into the promised land and you see them getting, going through the promised land. That's pretty crazy. And... What happens to Israel later? 
some of them fall into these same practices and God brings in the Assyrians and the Babylonians and later the Romans to spew them out of the land. And he said in the last days he'd bring them back again. You see, if you read the book of Judges, they actually <laughs> came under servitude to other nations several times when they would fall into sin. Then when they would repent, the Lord would relent of his judgment and have mercy upon them, even though they didn't deserve it, and restore them again. And this, these very actions will take place in your own life because you might think you're going to get away with some kind of perversion because you don't control uh, 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 unnatural urges or demonic thoughts. And then all of a sudden you get in some kind of trouble and you think it's going to all work out and you can make it all work out and it just gets out of hand. And guess what? God will deal with you. God will not be mocked. He says that, right? He says in, in uh, Galatians, right? 6, verses 7 through 9, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh will the flesh reap what? Destruction. You destroy your life. <laughs> You're not getting away with anything. You know, the person who thinks, wow, I'm getting away with this. You know, I'm, I'm getting away with this and that and nobody knows. It's like the one who matters the most, the one you should be most concerned about and most fearful of is the one who knows everything, even your inner thoughts. You know? You could put, you know, 35 comforters over your head and God still sees what you're thinking. You know what I'm saying? Don't be silly, okay? You're not getting away with anything. Leviticus chapter 20. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 20. Now, we looked at the words perversion and defiled and abominable regarding sexual sin. Now, let's look at verse 7 and look at, now look, mark the words death. That have to do with death and how deadly these things are playing with fire. And the Bible says, who can take fire, and he's talking about adultery, into his bosom and not be burned. Verse 7. You shall consecrate there, yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Called to be holy, separate from that which is evil. Set apart unto God. You shall keep, verse 8, my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him. Verse 10. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to what? Death. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon him. It's interesting because that very particular sin, which was not very common, but it was in the land that they were going to, later on in the first century, at the church of Corinth, Paul says, I'm amazed. You guys are, have a guy there just doing things the Gentiles aren't even doing. A man has his own father's, his father's wife. Relations with his mom, his incestuous relationship. Now here, in Leviticus, it calls for what for such a man? Death. In 1 Corinthians, what does it call for? Death? No. There's, there will be spiritual death for sure unless there's repentance. But guess what? He's supposed to be expelled from the church. And it says don't even eat with him because he's being handed over to Satan for the destruction of his what? Flesh. So there is death, isn't there? But it's not death at because keep in mind there's a difference because as he's writing the Israelites, they are a theocracy. That means their government system is run by who? God. It's a theocracy. 
Amen? So, uh, the very laws of Moses are the very laws of the nation. You stand, if you go to court, you open up book, man. Open up the Bible, the Old Testament. Boom. Here's the law, the Mosaic law. Now, the gospel is called to go from Israel throughout all the nations. Amen? And the nations are not under God's moral law. You understand? And the church is not to execute divine judgment, like bring death upon people. In fact, the Mormons kept doing it, you know. Hey, if somebody has sinned, come over here and, you know, we'll designate a place in the back. This is Brigham Young. And back of the church where we can, you know, shed your blood. Because when Jesus Christ came, he came and he paid for man's sin. Amen. And people could be saved through faith in Christ. And if someone fell into sin, your hope and prayer was that that person would come to repentance. So he was supposed to be expelled from the church so God could deal with him and he'd be handed over to Satan and hopefully he'd come to repentance and, and, and repent of the incestuous relationship that was such an abomination to God and get right and return to the fold as a repentant person. Because it says, his, his spirit, uh, Paul says, uh, his, you know, he's supposed to be excommunicated from the church and handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul may be saved in the day of salvation. In other words, it was remedial. As he was handed over to Satan with maybe some kind of deadly, you know, venereal disease or whatever. We don't know exactly. Hopefully we come to his senses. Say, what have I done? And repent and get right with God. But in the Old Testament, man, it was a, just a straight justice man of God. Boom. Death. Yeah, I think one of the great things about that Joe is detailing there from 1 Corinthians 5, specifically, after talking about the theocratic system and what would happen to sexual sin there is this is grace. One of the things that I think people have a tough time understanding, and maybe it's those outside of the church, but also even inside of the church, I've had conversations with people when we're talking about somebody who is in sin, and it's almost like Matthew chapter 18, 1 Corinthians 5, or somewhat of a checklist that it's like, well, now we can Matthew 18 them. But the fact is, is that if you looked at Matthew 18, if you look at 1 Corinthians 5, both of these are actually the grace of God through his body, because what's taking place there is that we are dealing with sin in a real way because we're recognizing that the leaven raises the whole loaf, and that when sin is not checked at the door, when it's not checked in the body of Christ— it festers and it will ruin an entire congregation. And so what I love there is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as Joe mentioned in there, is right at the beginning of that chapter, he deals with specifically, as Joe mentioned, there are things that are happening in that church that even the Gentiles, even those who don't have Christ, those who don't have the Holy Spirit, then not even they are doing this. And you guys are accepting this almost with, it seems like with great joy. And it's so interesting because what Paul prescribes as the antidote for this nonsense to stop is to take this man and expel him, get him out of there. Now, as Joe mentioned there, I've seen people take a verse from 1 Corinthians 5 and specifically use it and, and mutilate it into a means that is, has nothing to do with what the context has to do when it comes to we have nothing to do with judging those outside the church, but judging those inside the church. This doesn't mean you cannot make assessments as to who believers are from who are non-believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14, you're not to be unequally yoked with the non-believers. So it'd be impossible to follow that command and also to... Be 
checks people's fruit as Matthew chapter 7 tells us to do when it comes to true and false prophets as 1 John chapter 3, 4 through 10 specifically tells us who the children of God are through the children of devils. We're not we're called not to welcome in somebody who did not, does not keep with doctrine. So we are supposed to make assessments, but when it comes to expelling someone from a church congregation, no longer are you in fellowship with us, that sort of thing is supposed to happen in the church. Why? It's not only for the church, it really is, obviously, for the church, so that this isn't just festering among us, but also it's to kick them out so they would see the the seriousness of their sin. It's one of the most important things for us to really grasp and understand so that when we're looking at those things and we are seeing how serious it is that we also are loving this person. We're hoping that they will repent, come back to the kingdom. And I do believe 2 Corinthians actually gives us, it's kind of interesting because the Corinthian church there seems to have a problem to start and a problem to finish, right? Because the problem to start was what? They were allowing this sin to fester in their church. In 2 Corinthians, it seems like the scheme of the devil that he was using on the back end of that was when he came back to repentance, they were not affirming their love for him. So I think this is a beautiful picture of what we have and why sexual sin is so serious and why it does need to be checked out the door. And if you're in a congregation that is allowing the fornication and allowing homosexuality and so forth, it's something you need to be mindful of. These things are really, really important and you will ruin the congregation with these things just festering in this manner. So on the last appeal, Joe is going to, on this last clip they're going to play, Joe is actually going to appeal to the creative order, but he actually, this is right right after he had spoken uh, at length about the American Psychology um, Association and them kind of, it's kind of interesting, this is 2007, it's getting a lot worse nowadays that they were trying to push pedophilia as simply one of the things that people are born with as well. And so this is something we need to also be accepting of. And they pointed to animals Uh, not those made in the image of God and so forth. And so sometimes you can only take the creative order so much into account, and it's only into account as much as Revelation gives us. And so Joe is going to go into that and explain that in this message, and I hope you catch the entire message, which you can get in the description here. In this message, he goes in and details Dr. Alfred Kinsey and some of the wickedness there, and check out our entire series, not only on Kinsey, but on pornography as a whole in America that we we did, uh, and I, I think you guys would be blessed by it. But on this last clip, what Joe's going to go into are good and bad analogies concerning nature and sexual sin. Sometimes God uses nature to show us both good and evil. He'll use the eagle in his care for the young as a picture of him. He'll use the ant in his diligence as as an example to us as to how we're to work hard and not be lazy. And he used the slug, oh sluggard, for the lazy person who doesn't work and how to destroy himself. And, you know, he uses these pictures, but also he uses animals. In fact, you can throw those scriptures up there real quick. Proverbs chapter, uh, or in the order I gave you, 2 Peter 2, 22. And you'll see that it talks about a dog returns to its own what? Vomit. And a pig, after it's washed, goes back to its wallow in the mud. These are pictures of animals that do things that aren't good. The, the dog has spit out its poison. That's why God's given the ability to throw up. But because of its fallenness and its nature, it goes back and eats that poison. It's not healthy. A pig, after it's washed, a picture of us being cleansed and going back. In fact, look at the next passage. Look at Deuteronomy. No Israelite, man or woman, is to become a shrine prostitute. You must not bring the earnings of a female prostitute or a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God. 
to pay any vow because the Lord your God de detests them both. Now that's the NIV. Now look at this from the NASB because it's a more literal translation. It's a better translation. Deuteronomy 23, 17 and 18 from the NASB, the same passage. When you see it in the NASB, it talks about male prostitutes and it uses the term dog. You see, because dogs were known and considered unclean to the Israelites because they went around in packs, they took advantage of those who, uh, you know, those creatures and what have you who didn't have as much, uh, there you go, none of the daughters of Israel shall be cut a cult prostitute, nor shall any of the sons of Israel be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for any uh, votive offering for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. So God actually uses things that are debased in nature because of the fall and because of sin as examples of what we're not to be. But you have the American Psychiatric Association using debased things and saying this is, makes it normal. It's because they don't have a biblical worldview. Do you understand that? You can't just look at nature arbitrarily. You have to look at the one who created nature and his commentary on it to understand what it's about. If you throw the Bible out and God's common law, you don't have any laws. Why is murder wrong? Right? Why is serial rape wrong? Why are any of these things wrong? We know they're wrong from the law that's written in our hearts, which can be jaded and conscience can be defiled, but the word of God that informs us and brings them to light. You following what I'm saying? Okay. Praise God. I have much more to say, it, say about it, but look at the last verse here, Revelation 22, 14 and 15. Thanks so much. Hey, we're getting this down. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers. And he's not talking about animal dogs, okay? Dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. But the ones that are in the city, whoa. <laughs> Praise God. The ones that are in the city... The ones that are in the city, that thing's getting me back. I've been kicking it lately, right? <laughs> One of the services I was kicking it. Those that are in the city are the ones who wash their robes in the blood of Jesus. The beauty is that one verse, when it talks about fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals, it says, and such were some of you. But you've been sanctified, you've been washed, you've been justified. In the name of Jesus, amen? I don't care what sin you're guilty of, you could be free from the punishment that you deserve and the bondage that you're in through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I just love those words that he's given, not just his jumping over the speaker there. That, that, was, that was pretty awesome. And as I said, this is an older clip because you notice he doesn't have the goatee. He's got the mustache rocking there. But, you know, in all seriousness, this is a very serious message. And I really do encourage you to check out the rest of it. But I want to just read from Proverbs chapter 5. And, you know, I believe that this is a proverb, obviously, from Solomon. And if anyone knew about what would take place if you stumbled into sexual sin? I think we can point to no one even better than uh, Solomon in terms of that personification and what took place in his life, especially when we read the book of Ecclesiastes and his look back at what he had done in all honesty. But here's what it says. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1, it says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. In the negative, interesting to read that. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. 
She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. When it comes to sexual sin, it's not just something you don't do. It's something that you actually flee from. In fact, in what in Paul, one of Paul's first letters, probably the maybe the first letter we have written in all of the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians, Paul specifically says, what is God's will for your life? God's will is from your life is that you would flee sexual immorality, your sanctification, that you would flee sexual immorality. It's something that wages war on man. It's something that when Paul specifically describes about the price you have been paid for, it's reminding you not to make Christ one with a prostitute and so forth. So whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, if you're a woman, you need to show discretion, right? But also you need to watch out for those wolves, those men that would act as though they are you know, the most sweet, handsome, nice guy, but really what he's doing is taking you down to hell with them. And I remember it was a line that was said by Joe when I was a newer believer during a a Wednesday night message. And he said, you know what? When two people are fornicating and in a fornication, uh, a relationship based on fornication, he says, don't look at each other in the eyes and say, I love you, honey. Look Look at each other in the eyes and say, I'm taking you down to hell with me. Don't be one that takes someone down to hell with them. Be someone who repents, turns and says, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord and he will sanctify me in Christ Jesus. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at PO Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.